the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City, WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Now, a herald didn't have to look good. He could be ugly. Wouldn't matter. He didn't have to be very intelligent. He didn't have to have a lot of schooling. He didn't even have to have a great deal of any kind of education. But he did have to have one qualification. He had to be faithful. Basically, they were looking for someone who would be reliable. Someone who wouldn't switch the message around. Someone who wouldn't say, here's what the king told me, but I'm going to tell you something else. He's not an ambassador. An ambassador has the privilege of negotiating. A herald does not. James Packer said that the Apostle Paul didn't consider himself a philosopher, a moralist, or one of the world's wise men, but simply Christ's herald. His royal master had given him a message to proclaim. His whole business was to deliver that message with exact and studious faithfulness, adding nothing, altering nothing, and omitting nothing. And that's the job not only of the professional preacher, it's our job too. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In today's study, we'll move on to chapter 4 of Timothy, where Paul had more godly wisdom to pass on to his young protege. Wisdom that we would do well to apply to our own lives as well. We have a lot of ground to cover today, so let's get started. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Though we'll cover only the first two verses, we want to see it in its setting. Paul writes, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This week I received a telephone call from a pastor informing me that he had just resigned from his pastorate. I think just like the day before. And when I asked him why, he told me that the people don't want God to speak and tell them what to do. They want to tell God what to do. And that seems to characterize the majority of people in the church. They didn't want preaching that dealt with their sin. They wanted, and they told him, we want you to preach evangelistic messages. And we want you to preach to other people, not us. And they really told him that. In fact, he said they really don't want to hear the whole counsel of God's word because the head deacon there followed by many others, doesn't even believe that the Old Testament is reliable for historical facts and doctrine. You see, this disappointed pastor was merely experiencing the fulfillment of God's word to Timothy given 2,000 years ago. 
Let me show you what I mean. As chapter 3 opens in 2 Timothy, Paul writes this, but realize this, Timothy, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Now, we said when we covered that, then the last days are not the days just before Christ comes back. The last days are the church age. The last days began with the coming of Messiah. And they will continue until he returns. That's the last days. It's the day of grace. It's the church age. It's now. It's the contemporary scene. But realize this. In the last days, difficult times will come. That word difficult means menacing, threatening, dangerous for the church. He's not talking about dangerous for society. He's talking about it's dangerous to the church. These last days would be threatening to the church and they wouldn't get any better. They would get worse because verse 13 says, but evil men and imposters. And that's the reason there's going to be some difficult times because the world is going to come into the church. They're going to sit down and they're going to start playing church. But evil men and imposters, those who claim to be believers but are not, will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being Deceived. In other words, lovers of self, because he identifies them in verse 2 as lovers of self, lovers of self would only get worse. In other words, they would make progress in evil. That's the thought there. They would advance in evil. And the point is, Timothy, don't hide. Don't run away. Don't think you're just going to lay low until this thing blows over you. It's going to get worse. So you've got to face it. You've got to be realistic. But while evil men... And those in the church who don't know Christ, who are apostates, who are imposters, as they advance in evil, Timothy, though, is not to advance in evil, and he's not to run away from the truth. He is to remain in the truth. Look at verse 14. You, however, and the thought is, you, in contrast to these evil men who advance in evil, you, however, continue, remain, be steadfast, abide, that's the thought, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. In other words, you stay put. You don't retreat. You don't run away. You stay put in what you have been taught by me. And then he goes on to say, by implication, by your mother and grandmother. And we looked at that. He's to remain in the truth. And the reason why he is to remain in the truth is because the truth is not just truth in general. There's a lot of things that are true. But this particular body of truth is identified in verse 16 as God breathed. All scripture is inspired. It means breathed out by God. God is the primary source of this body of truth. All scripture or every scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. But I want you to know something. It is not enough to abide in the truth. It is not enough to guard the truth, which he's told Timothy to do. It is not enough to just be steadfast in the truth. As we turn the corner and chapter 3 ends, we move into chapter 4, Paul's last appeal to Timothy. We move into that great chapter. Paul tells Timothy in verse 2 of chapter 4, preach this word, proclaim it, herald it. And the reason he's to do this in these last days, and the reason all of us are to do this is found in verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, the people you're preaching to. There's coming a time where they won't endure it. They won't put up with it. But wanting to have their ears tickled, and we'll deal with that when we study this in, in uh, specifics, verse 3, but it's generally it just it's an expression that means they, they want their own way. They, they want to hear what they want to hear. They don't want to hear the truth, just like... This pastor's church that I told you about, 
They'll not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. They'll not put up with sound doctrine. They'll not have a preacher who will expound the word of God. They will accumulate teachers who will tell them what they want to hear, what makes them feel good. And that's where the expression, the tickling of the ears comes in. They'll want myth teachers, fable teachers. They'll want men to stand up and give them things that just entertain them, that appeal to them, that make them feel good about themselves, psychological things and, and fables and stories and things like that. You see, the pastor who phoned me this week was trying to shepherd a people that had already gone to this level. They were determined not to listen to the truth. Now, in light of this being the prevailing mood of the church today, and it really is. This is the prevailing mood of professing Christendom, whether they're believers or not, is not the issue at this point. But this is the prevailing mood and the attitude today. There's an increasing lack of interest in the Word of God. Not a lack of interest in going to church. Why, there are churches who can speak of having thousands of people who attend. But a lack of interest in the Word of God and a growing interest in, in everything but Scripture, philosophy, social issues, psychology, politics, all kinds of things, entertainment going out from the pulpit. In light of that, what, what should we do? What are we going to do about it? These are the last days. That's reality. Do we just keep quiet and accept it? We say, well, that's what the Bible says, so we can't change it. Well, according to Paul, we're to speak out while there are still some people who will listen. That's the point of preach the word. We're to speak out while some people will still listen. But how should we speak out? What do we say? What should be our attitude? When there's so much antagonism around us, what should be our profile? What should be our approach? Why should we speak when there are so few interested? You see, this is a very relevant problem. How do we communicate with people who profess to know Christ? And you meet them all the time, and I do too. They profess to know Christ, but they seem to be totally uninterested in Christ's word which is really a remarkable situation, but it happens. What do you do with a group of people like that, with a prevailing attitude of people who claim to love the Lord, claim to believe in Christ, but they want absolutely nothing to do with his word? Now, all these questions are answered for us in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. As Paul lists, and mark this, the qualities necessary for effectively proclaiming God's word in the last days. These are the qualities that you and I need to effectively proclaim God's word. Now, often when we hear the expression, everything, by the way, hinges in this passage on that expression, preach the word. It all kind of comes around that. When we think of a preacher, someone preaching the word, you think of a professional clergyman. You think of a pastor, a, a missionary. Uh, Timothy was an apostolic representative. We think of somebody in the pulpit, but that's not the thought here. The thought here is simply someone who proclaims publicly. Someone who speaks to another for Christ. And it's certainly, while Paul is speaking to Timothy in his apostolic representative role, it certainly applies to all of us as we want to witness. It applies to you as you speak to relatives about Christ. It applies to you as you speak to friends. It applies to you as you speak to those who claim to know Christ in a Sunday school class. Those who claim to know Christ in your fellowship group, in your flock group. Those friends of yours who claim to know Christ. And how do you communicate to them? Well, we're going to see some answers because we're going to look at three qualities necessary to proclaim God's word. I would encourage you to, to take notes on this. 
And these qualities will help you to be effective because it doesn't matter if you are shy or outgoing. It doesn't matter whether you've been to Bible school or haven't. These are the qualities you and I need if we are to effectively proclaim God's word in these last days. The first quality necessary to effectively proclaim the word is reliability. Reliability. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Well, that's a long sentence to get finally to the command, preach the word. The essence of what Paul charges Timothy to do in this passage is summed up in those three words at the beginning of verse 2. Preach the word. Now, throughout this letter, Paul has told Timothy, retain the, and 1 Timothy too, retain the standard of sound words. Guard the gospel. Continue in it. Even suffer for it. But now he says, Timothy, there comes a time in which you have to stop only defending it, only guarding it, only retaining it. Now you've got to stand up and proclaim it. You've got to proclaim it. You can't just be defending the faith. You can't just be holding on to sound doctrine. You've got to stand up and speak forth the word. Now, what word is he talking about? In context, you go back to chapter 3, and what is he talking about? All scripture. That is the word. All scripture is inspired. All scripture is God-breathed. It is that word that you are to proclaim. The Old Testament plus Paul's writings and any of the apostolic writings that have been penned by this time period. That is the word, the God-breathed scripture. As I told you a moment ago, when most of us think of preaching, we think of a pulpit, a position, position in ministry, a professional clergyman, a pastor. But the Greek word here for preach does not mean that. It simply means basically to proclaim it like a herald in the marketplace. You could say herald the word. That's the thought here. Herald it. And what was a herald? And this is very important that you know, and that's why I'm going to jump to verse 2 before dealing with verse 1, so you'll understand what he's talking about. In the ancient world, a herald was a man of great dignity. He basically had one thing to do. The king would tell him the message, and he would go forth, and he would go into the group of people that the king was over, and he would serve the king by giving forth the message that the king had given him. Later on in Greek history... He served the state, but his role didn't change. He was basically what we would call a town crier. He stood in the midst of the people and he said, hear ye, hear ye, this is what the king or this is what the senate or this is what the state has to say. That's basically his job. His job was to make official proclamations, just sort of an ancient town crier. He was the mouthpiece of the king or the mouthpiece of the state. That's really the thought here. And there are examples of heralds even in the Bible, in, even in pagan times. For instance, in Genesis chapter 41, you don't need to turn there, but Pharaoh sent heralds to go before Joseph's chariot, and they cried, bow the knee. So whenever his chariot would come by, the message was, bow the knee. The king wasn't going to be there. He sent a herald to do that for him. In Esther chapter 9, remember that, uh, <laughs> that great chapter? Every time I think of it, I want to laugh. Because uh, Haman hates Mordecai, and, and the king says to Haman, he says, what should I do to the man who the king wants to honor? And Haman thinks, wow, he wants to honor me. But he doesn't know he wants to honor his arch enemy. He wants to honor Mordecai. And Haman says, well, I'd put him on a horse, and I'd, uh, I'd put the, the king's crown on him, and I'd send him through the streets and make a proclamation. This is the man the king honors. And the king says, 
Haman, that's a great idea. I want you to saddle a horse, put Mordecai on it, and go through the street, and you tell everybody this is the thing that the king does to the, the one he honors. Well, that was a herald. In that sense, Haman functioned as a herald. In Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar makes an edict that all men should fall down and worship the golden image, probably an image of him, of himself. And he gets a herald to announce it. That's all he did. The king didn't announce it. He just told it to the herald, and the herald announced it. Perhaps the most well-known herald in the New Testament is John the Baptist. He was a herald. And John the Baptist arrived on the scene announcing the Messiah's arrival and the call of Israel to repentance in preparation for Messiah. He was a herald. Now, a herald didn't have to look good. He could be ugly. wouldn't matter. He didn't have to be very intelligent. He didn't have to have a lot of schooling. He didn't even have to have a great deal of any kind of education. But he did have to have one qualification. He had to be faithful. He also had to have a loud voice, too, in that, that day, because it doesn't make sense if uh, nobody can hear you. You don't whisper this kind of stuff. But basically, they were looking for someone who would be reliable, someone who wouldn't switch the message around, someone who wouldn't say, here's what the king uh, told me, but I'm going to tell you something else. He's not an ambassador. An ambassador has the privilege of negotiating. A herald does not. In fact, I, I read somewhere that in ancient times, heralds were actually given some kind of a, uh, obviously it's not a lie detector test like we know it, but some type of a, of a test to determine honesty. That would be honest men. Had to be reliable. And I read that somewhere. I, I don't know if that's reliable. I assume it is. But he had to be reliable. Reliability was indispensable. Let, let me show you a, a parallel to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 speaks about not someone who is a herald, but it really is very similar in, in this respect. A, a steward. He says in chapter 4, and this really captures the essence of a herald and a steward as well. Chapter 4, 1 Corinthians verse 2. In, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found, what? Faithful, trustworthy, reliable. Now, a steward... Uh, is someone who was a manager of the household. You get on an airplane today and they have a stewardess or a steward. They don't own the airplane. If they did, they wouldn't be flying you around. They wouldn't be flying me around. No, they are simply representatives of the owner. Whoever owns the airline or the board that owns the airline, they are hired to take care of you because he's not there. They've left him in charge or her in charge. A steward in ancient times was over the whole household. He had charge of all the slaves. And the one thing that Paul says is required of stewards is the same thing that's required of a herald, that he be found trustworthy. He doesn't have to be clever. He doesn't have to, uh, as I said, be good-looking. He doesn't have to come up with a whole lot of creativity. All he has to do is be reliable to follow orders. And all that a herald has to do is give forth the message that was entrusted to him with a clear voice, with reliability. His proclamation must be delivered exactly as it was required, and he wasn't at liberty to change any of it. Now, that is Paul's point. When he says in verse 2, preach the word, in context, he is talking about the God-breathed scriptures. Give it out. Preach it. Really, uh, you might think, did I just hear this message this morning? But really, it was different. Uh, some things are parallel, but it's different. Preach the word, be faithful. The proclamation must be delivered exactly as it was handed to him. 
You've got to be faithful to God's word. You don't, you don't negotiate. Now, that is important that you understand what a herald is because you and I are heralds as we witness, as we evangelize. As I teach here, I'm a herald. As you speak to someone else about Christ, you are a herald. Now, it's very important to understand that because when you look back at verse 1, you'll understand the seriousness of reliability. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, And then he says, preach the word. Paul begins his exhortation by stressing the seriousness of it. Why such a solemn charge? Why why so serious? Well, it's true that Paul was facing execution in a matter of days, weeks, months. His head would be put on a chopping block and it would be cut off. He understood that. He writes that in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He understands that. He understands that his life is about to end, and it's a very serious matter because he is passing on the baton to Timothy. He is passing on the mantle, and he's saying, Timothy, I'm out of here very shortly, and it falls upon you to proclaim the word. And while that is true, that is not the heart of what Paul is really saying here. That is not really why it is is so serious a matter. Beyond all that, the more serious matter was that someday Timothy will have to stand before the judge before Jesus Christ, and give an account of whether he was faithful and reliable in preaching the word. And folks, you and I are going to have to do that. Someday we're going to have to stand before Christ at what the Bible calls the Bema seat of Christ. Not really the judgment seat. It is a seat in which we will be held accountable for our works, for our service to Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5. The Bema seat of Christ. And we will stand before Jesus Christ and we will have to give an account of whether we were faithful and reliable in giving forth the message exactly as he gave it to us. So Paul directs Timothy's attention to God the Father and the Lord Jesus. In fact, some Greek scholars would say, notice this, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. They would translate that, the presence of God, even Christ Jesus. And that's very possible. But in either case, the point is that he summons Timothy into the very presence of of Christ to receive this charge. Why? Why would he do that? Why not just say, Timothy, listen, someday you're going to have to stand before God. And and, and you've got to have to be careful about this. Why does he summon Timothy into the presence of God to receive this charge? It is to motivate Timothy and to motivate all of us by way of application to be faithful to this charge, to preach the word, because it was really given to him by the one who will judge him. Now, this judge is different from any other judge. If you stand before a judge uh, someday just for a a legal matter, uh, there's going to have to be witnesses and people have to say, well, here's the way I see it and here's what happened. Before Christ, there will be none of that because he sees all. He evaluates the heart. He is watching now. He is reading your your mind. He is reading your heart. When you leave from here, he knows just what you're going to do. When you get up in the morning and you go to work, he sees it all. He is omniscient. He'll never have to call witnesses. He'll never have to call people to, uh, you'll never be able to call people to speak for you. You'll never be able to give any excuses. He knows it all. And in the presence of this great judge, Paul says to Timothy, I'm telling you, I charge you, I solemnly charge you, proclaim the word. Be faithful to it because someday, Timothy, you will stand before this judge who knows all. This is the one 
who is coming. This is the one who is coming to establish his kingdom. This is the coming king. This is the ultimate authority. This is the judge of all mankind. In fact, he says that, that who is to judge the living and the dead. And, and I take it what he means here is that if you die, you don't escape this judge either. Whether you live or whether you die, you will, as a believer, stand before him and be evaluated for your reliability in spreading the gospel and proclaiming the word of God. Jesus gave us the same command in the Great Commission. Make disciples. Preach the word. It's God's plan A, and he doesn't have a plan B. It's so important that we'll someday have to answer for how faithfully we follow that command. I'm glad you could be here with us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more about Lakeside, visit lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Again, call 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. If you'd like to catch up on previous broadcasts, they're all available for free on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Just go to the message archive page and stream or download as many as you'd like. And if the Lord is blessing you through verse by verse and you'd like to send a gift to help fund these Bible classes, you can find out how on the giving page. That's at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I hope I didn't scare you when I said before that we'll have to answer to Christ for our obedience to His command to faithfully preach His message. The Bema Seat judgment that's in store for Christ followers is not for punishment, it's for rewards. Anticipating the congratulations of the Lord Jesus himself, well, that ought to encourage us when we're facing people who don't like his message. We can remind ourselves that it's his opinion that counts. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.